The Charter Podcast, Episode 14, Share Uganda, Community-Based Health, with Dr. Chris Jenkins and Dr. Lorna Montgomery, hosted by me, Morris McCartney. I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Jenkins. Uh, Chris, welcome to the, the Zoom call on this program. Um, Thank you very much. Perhaps we start off by I'll just ask you to tell us a little bit about your about yourself. What is what's what's your role? What is your work? Thank you very much for for having me on this. Um, firstly, um, professionally, I I work for a company called Ipsos, which is an independent research um, organisation. I've been doing that for about a year. For the few years before that, I was working on research for other organisations. I was working for non-government organisations, and then I was working for Queens. Um, for about five years um, with the Centre for Public Health, mainly in global health research. I did my PhD at, at, at Queen's. Um, before that, I'd been, I'd, I, I went to the University of Nottingham and then I was in Geneva doing a master's um, and for a couple of years was then working internationally with different global health programmes. So Sherry Uganda as an organisation starts way before me coming back to Queen's to do a PhD but Sherry Yanda does start um, in many ways at, at Queen's University. So um, in 2008, um, there was a number of students who, uh, who, who were studying at Queen's at the time. Um, I, I actually was still in high school at the time. I was, I was 17 um, whenever these conversations started, started to happen. That group um, that came together uh, went out to Uganda and met um, a man called Dominic McQuire. And really, Sherry Yanda's story came together at that point um, because a partnership and a relationship was developed with him that then allowed everything that has come over the past 15 years to, to, to develop. My name is Lorna Montgomery. I'm a senior lecturer in social work. I've worked here for about nine years and prior to that uh, I worked for about 20 years at various levels in the statutory sector. A social worker. Probably when I just started working as a social worker I had a couple of trips out to Uganda uh, as a volunteer. I think I worked in a, a, a respite home for children with disabilities. So I had an interest in that and then in 2003 um, where I'd worked as a mental health social worker here for many years I took a five-year career break and went and worked as a social worker, mental health social worker in Uganda for an NGO. I became interested in research and so I undertook a start my PhD in Uganda and I looked at a comparative study of um, therapeutic interventions between um, Uganda and the UK. Uh, so I finished that when I came back home to, to the UK and um, I got, I got a job at Queensland. Obviously I had relationships in Uganda. I, it was important to me that I sought opportunity to continue those relationships and that work if I could. Um, and so I looked for opportunity to do that. And uh, I met with Chris Jenkins. Uh, so he talked to me about the work of SHARE. And uh, I think then we both and with other people thought about how can we build on that. What is Share Uganda? So tell me about Share Uganda. What is the, what sort of an organisation? What are the aims? Yep. So we're, we're a community-based health organisation. So 
as I kind of said, to give, to give a little bit even of the wider context as well, whenever we went to Uganda in 2008, we really didn't have an awful lot of an idea about what we wanted to do. We essentially went out to Uganda to, to try and meet people and to see if there was any gaps that we could that we could um, uh, develop programs and, and support. But we had very little idea about what that might look like. We met this man, Dominic McQuire, and it's really worth saying a little bit about Dominic because it's just one of the most amazing, inspiring people that I've, that I've ever had the privilege of, of meeting. And Dominic um, uh, lives and works in an area of Uganda called Kubira. Um, it's in the Chutere district. It's in the very south of the country, near the Tanzanian border, near Lake Victoria. And Dominic went, trained to become a teacher, decided he wanted to go back to Kibera, um, came back um, into the community that, uh, that he grew up in. There was no school provision at the time within the community. So he started with his wife that he met at University Rose um, and set up a school. And they had six, six kids initially in, a, in one room. Um, and that's how they started. And about 15 years later, uh, they have, I think it's the fourth best performing school in, in Uganda this year, academically, like just this remarkable story of, of going from very, very little to just a very high performing, um, school that, that does amazing things. And it's also an incredibly holistic school of wonderful arts and, and, and sports programs but very much in this area, very high deprivation and with very little access um, to other educational um, uh, facilities. So we arrived into that and we're just blown away by some of that work that was starting 15 years ago. Um, but it was very clear at that time that there was a real gap within healthcare. Um, there was no, there was no um, uh, functioning health services within the area. Um, and we were just seeing... Um, uh, a, a massive the, the impact of 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 things like HIV. Um, so um, the first uh, one of the first recorded cases of HIV in Africa was very close to um, to 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 Chitira, and you can you can just see the, the visible impact of it. The, and frankly, an entire a missing generation of of, of people that, that were that were affected by um, by HIV AIDS. Um, so the impact of malaria is an incredibly um, dangerous disease, particularly if you're young or you're pregnant or you're elderly, um, but also a very preventable and easy to treat disease as well. Um, and yeah, just just but essentially even taking it without a specific focus on those on on certain conditions and diseases, just a lack of access to any sort of health service, a lack of access to be able to talk to um, a healthcare professional. So we started to. Um, we started to, to try to identify um, and develop um, health projects. And we started really, really small. And I think that that is one of the things that I'm really glad looking back on our approach that we took this approach. We were young people, 18 to 22, and, and, and very will openly say that we did not have a great idea about what we were going to do, but I think we approached it right. We took it really slow. We listened an awful lot. Um, we, uh, we didn't dive in head first. Um, and we we really supported um, Dominic and other local people in the community to take a lead on on all of that because what what does a group of young people in Northern Ireland really know about the experience of living in in rural rural Uganda? So we very much came in with an approach that we can help facilitate this. Um, we have we can open up funding for some of these projects. We can help steer this. We can create a partnership. Um, but this is to be led by 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 local people and. 
looking back, I'm really, really, I, I think that's one of the things I'm just, I'm, I'm really glad that I, that a group of a young people, young people took that approach. Um, and, you know, cause it could have been, it could have been quite different. Um, uh, so, so then we started developing health projects, started really small. We started with things like malaria prevention programs, um, which was mosquito net distributions, but but aligned that with other things like educational workshops and also having in place a, like an infrastructure to support the use of nets. Um, so just really simple things, having needle and thread on hand, how, people knowing how to repair them. Um, and again, that's all delivered by a community outreach team in, in Uganda. Things like installing the nets, it's really like, it's, it's such an obvious thing whenever you think about it. But the way that a lot of mosquito net programs work is that a organization will come, they will leave, you know, a couple cardboard boxes of mosquito nets in, in, in the village. So we, we have a team that would go house to house and would kind of help install the nets as well. And it's just a really simple, but essential component to, to making sure that, that, that these sort of programs um, work. So we started with things like that. We did health outreach camps. Um, we started to fund people, um, uh, young people within the community that want that were wanting to do medical education. Um, and then this all kind of culminated um, a few years ago in constructing a, a primary health care centre. And that was that was finished a few years ago now and offers primary health care services um, within the Kibera community, staffed entirely by Ugandan medical professionals, um, led by a, a, a clinical officer and um she originally was a nurse within the community. We supported her um, to go through her qualifications to become a clinical officer, which allows her to manage the, the clinic. Um, so there's there's a woman in, woman's empowerment element uh, to, to that as well. And and just the impact of having a healthcare centre that there that's there, that's accessible, that's in the community, um, that can treat basic um, basic health problems. And really importantly, if someone has something that's more um, serious can can identify that and can refer on to other to other facilities as well um so that's where we kind of got to now and it's not perfect by any by any means we were constantly working to try and open it up and make it more accessible create better links with other healthcare providers in the area who provide things that we can't provide so if we're referring on but they're being referred on to a very expensive service how do we kind of how do how do, how do we manage and support that so we're constantly trying to expand what we can do then i guess on the northern ireland side and on the sort of the more international side we've we've maintained the model of doing this entirely voluntary so sherry uganda in the uk and ireland has um has no staff um and as a result has essentially no costs in 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 northern ireland our only costs would be very minor things like website hosting and you know thing, things like that so essentially all the money that we raise goes directly out to, to to uganda as well so it's it's a small it's beautiful model um i definitely think that there's a space by the way for for larger ngos that do have so i think sometimes there's an, there's an argument that you know that ngos shouldn't have any staff in the in in uh internationally and i, I actually don't agree with that but for us this is the model which worked really well and it has its benefits because we're able to we're able to um uh, direct as much of the resources as possible to to Uganda, and also because it's the smallest, but a, a sort of small is beautiful model. It's still entirely about relationships and friendships as well, um, which I think is really lovely too. You know, we've kind of grown up 
as Dominic and his family have, have, have grown up and I get as many texts from Dominic via WhatsApp about about Man United beating Liverpool last week, which I wasn't very happy about and he was very happy about. I get as many texts about football, I get as many texts about how his kids are doing in school as I do about um, about projects. And I actually think that's really lovely as well because it's that relationships at the heart of it. And it does mean that whenever we need to have a conversation about something to do with with the, the different projects, it's, it's, it's a conversation that's happening on that foundation of really good trust and a really good relationship that's been developed over a very long period of time. Building the team. So in 2000, I think 2018, we worked with Share and uh, developed relationship with academics in two of the key universities in Uganda, McCarrie and Clark International. And um, since then, we have got funding for three projects. And I think more importantly, maybe we've built that team. Like, I, I do feel it's a genuine collaborative international team. We work hard about, at, you know, our kind of cross-cultural engagement about uh, the role that we have in it and that we don't lead everything. We ensure there are leaders from Uganda. I know that there's a lot of discussion about the producers of research being disconnected by from its users. And so I think we have a really strong emphasis, particularly with SHARE, in um, working collaboratively and at the level at which the research is going to be used. Roughly how many staff are involved in on in the Ugandan end? Um, obviously there are none here in Northern Ireland, but how many people are yeah. So it, it, it's pretty small, you know, in the healthcare centre, um, I think it's it's six. Um, at the minute, it's a clinical officer, a couple of nurses, um, someone that works in a in a small lab, and then we have a couple an admin person, a security person. Um, so it's six people within that, um, uh, uh, within the healthcare centre, and then we have a malaria prevention program that has a couple other people that kind of work um, sort of on a more sort of part time basis with it. So um, uh, to help put up the nets and um, and things like that, and uh, and we have people like Dominic and Rose um, who are kind of the managing advisor sort of figures. We have a committee there that kind of oversees everything again of kind of more senior um, retired healthcare professionals, people like that who kind of oversee the work as well. So there's there's a couple of different um, groups of people that are that are both involved in formal employment and then also in kind of more advisory or part-time roles as well. Embedding the research. So we've got three small grants. The first I think was about 2019 and it was a GCRF fund, small amount of money, where we uh, set up a three-day workshop uh, and brought together key stakeholders um, across the health and social care sector and academia and government. And coming out of that, there was a clear need for uh, understanding the experiences and needs of informal carers in Uganda. So strong, strong sense of a very um, difficult health care sector, very limited resources, a lot of poverty and huge reliance on children, older people, family carers, uh, but with really very, very limited research done in that area and no resources. 
so we got a second small grant from GCRF again uh, to look at the needs of carers and we conducted that research with again that collaboration that I've talked about and we looked at the needs of carers in two locations in in the area of that share is based and in the capital city in Kampala and we worked with the hospice, Africa Hospice Uganda. We engaged with the Ministry of Health and they invited us to um, write a draft of a carer's policy. So we're in the process of doing that and then just more recently we've got a small impact fund from Queen's which uh, will help us to develop a carer's resource, um, carer's toolkit and we're working very closely with communities in trying to develop that. I have a trip out to Uganda in October for that purpose. Uh, and then we're also continuing to work with the Ministry of Health to develop this um, policy. So hopefully those two will come together. Building a full service. Um, what is the future? What does the future look like? How do you, do you think it'll continue to grow? What would it need? I think it I think it can continue to thrive definitely and I you know for me thriving is 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 a couple of things firstly it's ensuring that we are sustainable long term um and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second it's also it's also ensuring that 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 we are building a full sort of service around the healthcare center so being able to offer as many different services as possible being able to offer the kind of referral that I was talking about but also using that space in the health centre to open that up to other organisations as well. So one of the, a really exciting thing that is that is happening quite recently is that we're hoping that we are able to link up with the Ugandan government to um, so the Ugandan government offers their vaccination programmes through through the health centre, which is fantastic because I think long term connecting with the public health system is a really um, important thing that I would like us to do more in terms of sustainability accountability. All those sort of things. I think it's a really important direction that we that we um, connect those up a bit better. But there's other organisations as well. There's the Rakai Health Sciences Program, which is a it was funded by the Gates Foundation and um, is now being I think brought back in under the Ugandan um, public health system. They do a lot of um, HIV testing and and treatment. So that's something that we we haven't felt that we've been in the position to offer something like that. But we also don't need to because there's other organisations in the area that have those niche, niche focuses who are doing that work really well. So it's how do we connect with them, bring them in, let them use that space within the health centre, allow the community within our area to 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 access those different services. So I think a lot of what we'll do over the next few years in terms of thriving is that it's, it's building those sort of connections. I don't think our, our ambition is to actually go beyond in terms of you know I, I think there's a tendency of kind of a growth mindset that you always have to grow grow and I actually I don't think that 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 beyond that kind of that that those relationships that we're going to try and solidify I don't think that's what we're going to do I don't you won't see a hospital in Kibera in 10 years time um, there isn't a plan to build the health the health center into something much bigger that's offering specialist tertiary level you know that just wouldn't wouldn't make sense, and um, also I think would be um, that would start to stray into the areas of kind of overlap with other with other services. Um, so um, it's about solidifying things. And to be honest, 
COVID has been a really difficult time for everyone as well. So first and foremost, it's just getting back on a level footing after what's been a really difficult few years for everyone. And COVID's been difficult in Uganda for a couple of different reasons. It's been a little challenging to see the to to assess the direct impact of COVID in in Kibera because of a lack of um, testing. Um, uh, so it's hard to know, it, it, you know, if you look at some of kind of WHO statistics and stuff, um, Uganda doesn't seem to have been affected directly by COVID too badly. Um, I say too badly, I mean that in comparison to other, to other, other places. And I think that's probably because Uganda took a very um, strict approach, um, a very robust approach. Uganda has um, very robust systems of, of outbreak control that were already in place that they were able to... Um, uh, basically implement protocols immediately. You know, you kind of had a long history of dealing with outbreaks such as Ebola um, and then obviously HIV as well. Um, so they had those systems in place. So that direct impact has not been that, that, that traumatic, but the indirect impact has been massive economically in Uganda, just, just a huge impact of shutting the economy down. Um, so really what we're trying to do is get back on a even footing. And from our perspective in Northern Ireland, We've also seen the impact of COVID very dramatically as well in terms of just the challenges in, in, in fundraising. And a lot of our fundraising models pre-COVID were physical, they were in-person, there were events, things like that, that obviously all stopped and we've had to transition a bit of that as well. So so first and foremost, um, long-term for Sherry Ganda is, is, is just ensure our long-term sustainability, build up those different relationships and then and then work with the community as well to see what they would like to see next as well. I think one thing I didn't mention as well is that one of the things that we will like to do going forward is to is to um, shift the kind of um, income generating stream from Northern Ireland to Uganda uh, as well. So income generating for the, for the use of the of the clinic. So are we able to develop different projects around the clinic, agricultural projects, things like that, that are community owned and the profit of which goes into funding health services? Um, just so, again, I think that's a better model than it coming entirely internationally. So um, can we start to develop more of that? Um, that would be kind of the direction that we're also looking to go. The impact of Share Uganda. Our uh, research questions didn't ask specifically about Share Uganda, but um, I suppose spontaneously a number of family carers. So these are individuals, possibly young people, um, women, older people, like people who were really very stressed and I suppose didn't cope terribly well with the huge responsibility they had for looking after a, a member of their family who had chronic illness. And many of them indicated that the the projects that Share Uganda ran were the things that kept them going. So provided support, provided practical help, emotional support, guidance, and I suppose that kind of social, psychological support as well. You know, it's always trying to be careful about our own position coming from the West and where power lies and, and constantly, you know, almost in every conversation, being aware of that and negotiating uh, respectfully and ensuring that my colleagues in Uganda, who are experts um, in their own area, uh, take the lead. Resources are very limited. Um, it 
takes you a while to get your head around an entirely different mindset, different expectations, really no resources. Um, and I'm sure that's made currently worse by just the position globally. Um, the goal of this visit is to develop a prototype toolkit for Ugandan carers. Um, I suppose maybe if I use one example, uh, you know, I have to bear in mind even things like people will not have the money to print material off, or if I want to have an online meeting, people genuinely may not have the um, airtime on their phone to be able to log on to a meeting. You know, so it's actually starting at the basics and uh, trying to build up from that. I suppose the other thing to say is that I don't want to present it as, you know, a one-sided, we're providing help. I mean, very much we're learning from our Ugandan colleagues um, and, and my views have changed and my skills have developed uh, as a result of that. I think the thing that, that would be really helpful for us as an organisation if you're listening to this this podcast, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a student at Queens, if you're alumni, um, uh, if you're wanting to get involved in something, please just reach out to us. First and foremost, we need to develop our our network in Northern Ireland um, a bit. Where we're looking always to bring in people with different areas of expertise and with just enthusiasm and passion to do to do this sort of this sort of work. So I've given a, an overview of some of the different areas that we're, that we're working in, health, um, uh, trying to um, look at income generating things, agriculture, things like that. If you have a background in governance and, thing, and, and, and um, any sort of project management skills, just get in touch. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from, um, we'd love to hear from you. And um, uh, it's, it's a hard time for the organization as well. I kind of sometimes I think with charities and non-government organisations, there's a hesitancy at times to talk about funding and fundraising. And I think that's particularly strong at the minute because there's a cost of living crisis in Northern Ireland. There's a lot of people are finding things very, very difficult. Um, and it's sometimes a very difficult sell to say to people, well, um, we'd like you to donate to a project that's an international um, project. I think we still need to say that to people and we need to say that, that, that this project is based on an idea of internationalism and global solidarity and um, the challenges that are being faced by people in Uganda are very dramatic. And if you have the ability um, to donate to, to, to this project, I would really ask you to consider it as well. Um, because ultimately nothing happens without, without, without fundraising. Um, and if you, if you have a little bit of extra money and want to make a donation to that. The 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 distance that will go in, in Uganda is dramatic. It would have a really unbelievable impact. I think as well, people sometimes have a tendency to want to kind of fund a, a big or a new thing. And I kind of understand that as well. It kind of comes from you want to see what your money is directly going into. The majority of our costs in Uganda, the vast majority of our costs are salaries for healthcare professionals and medication. And I would argue that there's nothing better that your that that your money could go into as well. It's it, it's it's funding that direct health service. There's no health service without doctors and without clinical officers and nurses. Um, so you're funding those people to do to do this really important work. 
Um, and then that money is within the community and circulating anyway. And so it has a wider impact as well. So, you know, it's difficult to talk about fundraising at the minute, um, but it is also a, a, a reality. If anyone does have um, that, uh, uh, that capacity to do that, it would be it would be incredibly appreciated. And beyond that, if you're interested, if you have any ideas, just reach out. Um, as I, our model is entirely a, a kind of a partnership-based, relationship-based, friendship-based model, I think we're an easy group to come into. Um, so just drop us a message. I'd be happy to have a chat um, informally as well about anything that um, that we could do together. And uh, of course, they can always contact you to talk about Liverpool as well. If uh... we'll see how Saturday goes. Normally, for the last five years, I'd be very happy to have that conversation. But uh, we'll we'll see how Saturday goes. <laughs> Oh, I'm hopeful, you know, I'm hopeful for the future of this project. Um, I am, you know, grateful to be in a position in Queen's where we can use that. I mean, it, my personal interest in Uganda aligns with Queen's kind of global strategies, which is brilliant. And so I hope that it's a bit of a win-win. It sounds like a, a really uh, excellent and productive model and I hope that people will uh, be getting in touch whether about football or not. Um, we'll obviously put the links in on the website and uh, or you know people can always contact at UB Engagement and we can uh, put them in your direction. But in the meantime, uh, Dr. Chris Jenkins, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Morris. Really appreciate it. With thanks to Dr. Chris Jenkins and to Dr. Lorna Montgomery. Find out more at shareuganda.co.uk or visit our website qub.ac.uk/social-charter.